Hello everyone and welcome back to my podcast. Today we're going to be talking about my second week here in Oaxaca. This is episode three, but my second full week in Oaxaca and my first week of classes. So I have quite a bit to talk about today, but I'll try to keep it short and keep it moving. We're first going to start off with some questions Seneca sent in. Shout out to you girl about my life here. If you, anyone else has any other questions, please feel free to ask. And then I'll talk a little bit about what I'm learning about in class and then about what I did this week. So let's get started. So for the questions, the first question is, how much English does my host family know? So my host family for context has had lots of other exchange students, if you want to call us that, um, before, but they haven't all been from an English-speaking country. A lot of them are from Japan, is what my host mom was saying, which is interesting, but I will say my host mom does speak a few English words. She knows a lot of vocab words of just different things, which is helpful. For example, like mug, she knows that, and just different things. Now, most of the words I do know, or at least I know now after a few weeks, um, but it was nice in the beginning that if I was confused, she's like, can you grab a cup? I actually didn't know what cup was before I got here. So it's like the little everyday words like that that she knows, which is really helpful. The rest of the family, though, does not speak any English. The oldest daughter, who's eight, is actually in English class now, learning English, which is nice. So I get to help her out with classes, but she doesn't really, she doesn't really know anything other than how to say like, good morning, good night, and things like that. So they don't speak much English. Next question is, what is the typical breakfast? That is a good question, and I can only speak for my family. I don't know if this is typical across the board, but I'll either have an omelet with chorizo, which is like a type of meat um, in the in the omelet, which is really good. It's so delicious. I'll have that, and then I'll have a manzana, an apple cut up with yogurt and coconut on top, and coffee and bread like that's one breakfast it's big or i'll have soap sopa um soup sorry i was struggling to think of the word soup we have soup a lot for breakfast and most of the time it's vegetable soup it actually is not bad um didn't think that i would be down to eat soup every morning but it ended up not being too bad and it's nice to get a big dose of vegetables first thing in the morning so those are what my breakfasts have been like. I know sometimes people will just eat bread and coffee for breakfast here, but it depends. That's what my family makes, so that's what I eat, and it definitely fills me up. And you need to almost eat a huge breakfast because here, meals are a little different, and snacking is not a thing. <laughs> There's hardly any snack food that you can buy in the grocery store. And it's also just not something that people really do as much. So I normally eat a huge breakfast around 8.30 and then I go to class and then I come home around 2.33 and that's when I eat what they call la comida. It's technically lunch, I guess, but it's really a huge meal in the middle of the day. And then we normally eat cena, which is like dinner around 7 or 8. And that's just normally for me. It's just like a piece of bread and like some tea, but sometimes it's 
little things here and there a little bit smaller portion of what you had for la, la comida so it's very different than what i'm used to personally and i'm also a huge snacker so that's been a little different but i'm already could say i'm pretty used to it my favorite food i've had so far is tlayudas it's spelled t-l-y-u-d-a-s tlayudas but it they say it very different it's something i think pretty specific to oaxaca and it's this huge tortilla that has many different things in it you can get it with different things and then they fold it and then they grill it so it's crispy and you put salsa on top and there's cheese inside and mm, it's so good it's so good okay next moving on to temperature the weather here has been really nice it's chilly in the morning maybe like 40 degrees and then by the afternoon it's like 80 almost 90 in the sun it's even hotter people around here carry umbrellas to be able to be in the shade all the time but i'm i'm soaking up these rays definitely a lot better than dreary old pennsylvania is right now so i'm really loving the weather i am a little nervous for when it's actually summer here because this is their winter that'll be quite interesting my host family walked me one day to one of the meeting locations in the morning and i was wearing a very light little shirt on top of my tank top and like i was perfectly fine and my host family had on especially the kids like full-blown winter jackets like with the hoods up like it's just crazy how our bodies are so accustomed to different things so i'm i'm nervous for for summer that's for sure and last episode i talked a little bit about a highway that's kind of controversial that's cutting across the state of oaxaca to connect the two different oceans like two different landways and no it is not built yet that was the question it's still being built i think it's actually relatively new of a project but i can ask and come back to you on that and then the last question and i can't believe i haven't mentioned this yet and that's covid And what are things like here? Let me tell you, they are so different. The first thing is that in Mexico, we are still wearing masks outside all the time. Unless you're eating or drinking something, you pretty much have to have a mask on. And everyone does. Like walking around the city of Oaxaca, the only people that don't have masks on are gringos, like clearly tourists that just don't care and they definitely get a bad rap like my program director said he's like look around look at the streets you will see in oaxaca all of the native oaxacans everyone from mexico will be wearing a mask it's the tourists that don't um so and it is pretty true now i will say when i go out to the other pueblos outside of oaxaca city um it's a little bit more freedom like some people aren't wearing masks but most of them are outside and inside, which is really interesting. Another thing that's different is every time you walk into a store or when I walk into my house, there's this little pad, like rubber pad, that has sanitizer poured in it. And so you step there with your shoes and then you step on a cloth to dry it. Um, One, to keep the floors clean, but I think this started with COVID to help clean i mean let me know if i'm wrong and if this was a thing before but my host mom said that this was a covid inspired thing which is really interesting also whenever you enter a store 
or whenever you enter my house for example I have aerosol spray sanitizer spray that I spray my whole body with my clothes my shoes my hair everything and like they spray down good and when you walk in a store they have you turn and they spray you and when you walk into a store also everywhere almost every store they have a temperature reader attached to the wall so you just hover before it and it reads your temperature so really interesting very different than in the u.s the precautions they're taking and yeah like you will see someone walking on the sidewalk not a single soul around them and still have a mask on so very different than in the u.s but they have to take it seriously because healthcare is not the best that's what my host mom was telling me she's like we have to take this seriously because you know it's dangerous and it's scary and it'll cost us a lot too if one of us gets sick and we have to if we need medical attention so I think for the most part our group's been pretty respectful of that and being really careful to make sure our host family stay safe all right so that's the end of the questions I'm going to transition now to talk a little bit about class material and what we're learning about so for my class material it might be a little all over the place one because I feel like the lectures were a little all over the place, mainly because it was the first week and it was also in Spanish. So to be completely honest, I was a little lost for a lot of it and a lot of it was giving background information to prepare us for the actual topics of the lecture. My class this month is mainly focusing on immigration from Guatemala through the southern border, so into Mexico. Um, so focusing on that area and learning a little bit more about that and i'm excited to see more learn more and see how this class develops and then i'm also taking another class which is just the spanish class where we just talk in spanish and work on our ability there and then also our program director omar came in and gave a lecture as well for a few days just on different oaxacan facts and history of oaxaca and things like that so i'm just going to go through and say a few random little facts or points in history that i found interesting and that i think is worth noting and writing down to remember for later so the first one i want to mention is the programa baracero baracero i think is how you say it b-r-a-c-e-r-o and this was a program installed by the u.s government in coalition with the mexican government that allowed mexican workers to go to the u.s and work in el campo work in the fields without documentation so without citizenship without any papers it was completely legal though they let them go there and work and then they just had to ensure that they returned and so this ended in 1964 i don't have a start date on here because i'm wondering if it started slowly and then grew Again, it was in Spanish, so I did my best. But it ended in 1964 when the U.S. was desperate for workers in the fields. And it's estimated that around 5 million Mexican workers went up north, crossed the northern border into the U.S. to do work. So this was a huge legislation change that really impacted immigration today. Also, I just found in my notes 
that it says I have 1942 written next to this. So I'm guessing it started in 1942 and ended in 1964. So it's a pretty long time. Again, I might need to double check that, but this really changed what immigration looks like today. The good things about this were that it gave people a way to come to the U.S. and see opportunities there and get work. And a lot of that work and money wasn't going into the U.S. economy. It was being sent to family and therefore helping the Mexico economy, which is still true for a lot of immigrants today that when family members go to work in the U.S. and send money back, that money then circulates in the Mexican economy. So that is a good thing about this program. But the bad parts were that it ended a lot of rights for workers. So because these workers were undocumented, they didn't have any formal way to make sure that they were all being treated fair, equally, and that they had rights. There were no labor unions for the workers in these fields. And so that led to a lot of extortion and workers not being paid well at all and really no rights when it came to their work and their treatment and the money that they received for their hard work. So those were the bad things about it. And a lot of that is the same today with workers that work out in the fields and that work undocumented. So it's it's a give and take. It's It's interesting, and it's interesting how that program started and allowed people to cross legally without papers and how today it is not legal and like what that means. Another thing I want to point out, this is just another random fact from our lecture with our program director, is just some of the double standards that a lot of people exist, a lot of Americans have about Mexico. So what he did for us is he said, when you think of shrooms and hallucinogenics, like what do you think of? Who do you think of? And at least for me, I thought, oh, like the hippie movement, like John Lennon maybe, and you know, people like that and like hippies and freedom. And that's just what came to my mind. And then he showed us a picture of Maria Savina, who is a relatively famous indigenous woman who's from Oaxaca, who is known for, or was known for, using these medicinal mushrooms and different herbal medicines to heal people, and mentally and physically, and it's a huge part of her culture and the indigenous practices here, and just how when we think of that, of hallucinogenics and things like that, drugs, we don't think of its medicinal use or how it has great significance for a lot of cultures. We just think of the cultures that have used and adapted it to in our whitewashed American version of history, which is still really interesting. Another interesting point that he mentioned to us, this is in modern day Mexico in Oaxaca state. A few years ago, I don't have the exact years, but the government built 2,000 windmills in the southern part of Oaxaca, right on the coast, to help boost energy production in the state and help lower energy prices. And when he showed us this at first, I was like, wow, 2,000 windmills? Like, that's amazing. That's some sustainable energy right there. Like, that's what I want to see. 
And pretty much the whole class had the same reaction until we thought a little bit more critically about what it means to build 2,000 windmills. So he broke it down for us like this. Each of those windmills, now these are, you know, gigantic, if you know what I'm talking about, they're huge. Each of these windmills has to be buried 70 to 100 feet into the ground in order to be sturdy. And it's very, very wide around, um, if you are picturing what I'm talking about, one of those huge, large ones. So when you put 2,000 windmills like that into the ground, there's going to be a lot of disturbance. And in this particular part of Mexico, of Oaxaca, where it was built, into the ground there were actually pockets of fresh water that produced wells that most of the people in that area got their water from. Actually, I'm pretty sure all of the people in that area got their water from. So when they built these windmills, it didn't take long for the people to completely run out of their water source and therefore cause a lot more problems. And not only that, but also when you're building mechanical things into the ground, it is not clean. There have been oil spills in that area and it's right on the coast, very close to the ocean. And it's continuing to contaminate and ruin the ecosystem there. So just another contradiction, a give and take of modernization and globalization, right? And it's, it's really interesting because it a lot of what we're learning about feels like there might be no right answer. I mean, yes, these windmills provided a lot of electricity, but they completely ruined an ecosystem and took a lot of water sources away from people. So I just found that really interesting. Another thing I want to point out is that is the North American Free Trade Agreement, which is something that I'm definitely going to learn more about and that I'm sure most people have heard of before, but it was established in 1992 with George H.W. Bush, and the main goal was to help make Mexico transports of goods into Mexico easier and vice versa. And with this transition of power and with this new free trade agreement, which was not really very free, two million Mexican farming jobs were lost. So with this, two million people lost their jobs, not to mention whole families lost what they've been doing for generations, working on farms. And all of that produce, all of that, all of those jobs went to the U.S., And so what are people going to do? They're going to go where their job went. They're going to go and work for a huge company in the U.S. doing the exact same thing they've been doing for generations. But now they're not a boss, their own boss. And now they have to go to another country to do it. Again, she went into immense detail about the North America Free Trade Agreement and explained exactly why jobs were lost. But it was all in Spanish and I was very confused. I literally wrote on my notes, confused, Google. So I still need to do that. And I know that we're going to go over it again in class. So I will be back with more information on that. But one thing that I do have, which is very interesting, is that today, this day and age, Mexico is the number one buyer of U.S. corn, which is interesting considering before the North American Free Trade Agreement, Mexico produced all their own corn. So that's quite interesting to mention. So there are a lot of other facts that I want to point out. 
and a lot of other things that I want to talk about. So I'm just going to end on one though for today, and that is about the article that we read this week. So at the end of the week, we just started to dive into people's stories about traveling from Guatemala, El Salvador, and south of the Mexico border up through Mexico into the U.S. So we read a really long article, 70 page, was it 50? 50 pages in Spanish, all about blockades that the government, Mexican government is putting in to keep people from crossing through the southern border and what that means for these people and what's happening. And something that shocked me is that just about every year, 32,507 immigrants are considered NNA, which are niños, niñas, o adolescentes, which means that they're children younger than 18 years old. And I have a little bit more statistics of, from 2019. So in 2019, 12 to 17 years of age, there were 12,898 immigrants with that in that age and out of the that number 5206 traveled across the southern border up through Mexico without any family members with them which means that they were by themselves and then in the age group 1 to 11 years old there was 19609 people and 2827 of that group were without family members with them. I personally just could not imagine being even my age now and making that journey to an- through another country up to another country by myself, but it was a reality for 2,827 children below the age of 11. So that was something shocking to learn about, and it was even more shocking when we read their stories. Um, I'll just share one really briefly about one boy who shared his experience taking a train. So from the Guatemalan border, there are only a few official ways to cross into the border, but there are hundreds of unofficial ways, which is what most people do. And so this boy crossed, and then from there, there are two main paths that people take to travel up through Mexico. and they tend to be trains. There are two trains that travel up through Mexico and people just hop on board, run and jump on the planes and sit on top of the cars. And that's how they travel. And so this one boy was saying that he did that. He and he found a few people his age and they ran, they got on the train and they were sitting there and then it came time to get off. And one of the other men that was on the train ride the whole time with them said, okay, you have to give me blank amount of pesos or you can't get off the train. And he's like, what? I don't have any money. I don't have any money. He's like, no, you have to give me this amount or you can't get off the train. And he was saying this to all of them. And so they all figured it out, gave money, but the one boy couldn't. And so this man, he said, fine, if you can't, if you can't give me your money, then I have to take something else from you. And what he decided to take from him was his hand. He cut off his hand. Um, sorry, I probably should have given a warning to that, but it, it just, the whole reading was about how because the Mexican government 
with influence from the U.S. government, is putting blocks to keep people from migrating. They're forced to do it in more dangerous ways, such as taking this train, and then narcos and other organized crime groups have taken over these routes and are monopolizing it for money, you know, charging people to take the train that they don't even own, and if they don't, they go to extreme measures to make an example out of them. So, hopefully this wasn't all over the place, and hopefully... I was able to accumulate some information that will give context to later things I'm going to learn. I know personally I'll be coming back to this and hopefully remembering some important things. So, But from now on, I'm definitely going to try better to pay attention. I keep reminding myself, it's my first week with class in Spanish. Like It's okay if I don't understand everything and if I'm a little lost. But hopefully this wasn't too confusing and hopefully it was some good information. Right, so I'm gonna end this segment with a short little story about an adventure I had this week. <laughs> I have quite a few adventures that I've had this week, so maybe I'll have to add them more later, but this episode's getting a little too long. So, pretty much yesterday, apparently there was a festival down in El Centro, down in the main area where everything happens, and so my friend Elizabeth and I were like, hey, let's go check it out, this will be great. We we're gonna meet up with some other of my students, of the students in my program it was gonna be fun so we get there and it is chaos there are so many people in the streets i will attach a link to a video so you can watch what i'm talking about in this the description hopefully it will work um so you can just see the vibe of the environment it was crazy people in so many different costumes that represented different cultures and different communities here in Oaxaca dancing having fun they gave they were throwing confetti giving out candy different things like that it was a great time kind of like a parade and then we see coming these men with huge masks on and painted their whole body completely black like painted head to toe in black and we're like whoa what is this this is interesting and then one of them comes up to my friend Elizabeth and goes to like touch her face and she goes and like bends away like ah no don't touch me and then i'm standing there and let, let me just give some context i'm eating ice cream so i'm standing back with my back against the wall of a building and this is passing by in the street and you know my mask is off so normally because i'm eating and so normally then people know to keep space and they normally do so i figured i was in the free i was in i was safe i was just enjoying my ice cream and then before i knew it the man was approaching me and before i could even process what was happening i had paint all over my head yes i believe i will make the picture of myself right after it happened the cover picture of this episode um it wasn't just happening to Elizabeth and I. This is actually what they do. It's actually a type of really thick oil that they cover their whole bodies with. And then it's kind of like a blessing or just like recognition. And they go around and touch everyone's heads and like spread the wealth. Um, I really got a lot of the wealth. Most people got like tiny little dots. But as you can see in the picture, <laughs> I got a real good. So um, Thank you for that. That was definitely a great memory, great experience, but not gonna lie, didn't enjoy it too much in the moment. After that, I made poor Elizabeth walk around the city with me, trying to find a bathroom, 
and then I paid to enter the bathroom and it had horrible lighting and I couldn't even get it off my face and then I pretty much just ended up calling my night short and said nope it's it's not for me it is time to go to bed and so that is what I did Another quick fun fact that I forgot to mention here and I forgot to mention earlier is that since I've been here in Oaxaca, there have been three earthquakes. Tremblores. Ugh, I can't say it. Yeah, I believe me, I speak better Spanish when I'm speaking Spanish continuously, but now when I'm trying to say words, my brain is just dead. But, but yes, there have been three. A huge alarm goes off right before you feel them and then everyone runs outside into the middle of the street. In 2017, there was a really bad earthquake here and a lot of people passed away and it was really dangerous. And so every time there's an earthquake here, people take it very seriously and afterwards send messages to all of their loved ones and things like that. So we've had three so far. My first time really experiencing an earthquake. It's very interesting, but I'm safe. I'm doing good. All right, so that is it for this episode. Sorry it is so long. If you made it to this end, good job. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Shout out to your future self, Mackenzie. You're doing pretty well right now. You're missing home a little bit, but you really like it here as well. I also forgot to mention that literally tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., I'm getting on a flight to fly to Chiapas, which is a state below us right on the Guatemalan border, to do an intense study of immigration there. So, Stay tuned for next week's episode. I don't know when I'll get a chance to record it, but it's going to be a good one. I'm going to be right on the border, observing and getting to see people cross the southern border with my own eyes. So here we go. Hope everyone's having a good week. I'll see you later.